Let's read again Luke chapter 2, verse 8 through 20. Such a beautiful story. I hope this week that you'll take time and, and sit down and read this, and even read it as a family. Read it to your children. And in that region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone round them, and they were filled with fear. Let me stop there for just a second. Let me back up. Back up. Thank you, Dee, so much. At first, this was a threatening event for these shepherds. I love the way the Living Bible translates it. They were badly frightened. In the Amplified Bible, they were terribly frightened. Luke is trying to tell us that when this angel appeared, these shepherds, they were filled with fear. But listen to what the angel says in verse 10. And the angel said to them, Be not afraid. Rather than be fearful, the shepherds are commanded to be joyful. The angel says, I bring you good news of a great joy which will come to all the people for all the world. For to you is born this day in the city of David, and that's the town of Bethlehem, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And again, if you'll leave it right there for just a second, I'm sorry. In studying Matthew 1 and 2 and Luke 1 and 2, there, Matthew gives Jesus three names. Jesus, of course, Christ, and Emmanuel. And in Luke's gospel, Luke actually gives four names. He gives the name Jesus, which means Joshua. That's an Old Testament name, or God is salvation. But here in this passage of Scripture, the angel calls him the Savior, that is, the one who would come and take away the people's sin. The angel also calls him Christ, which means God's anointed Messiah that would be sent by God as promised. And he also calls him Lord. All the earth one day will submit to this baby born in a manger. And then the angel says in verse 12, this shall be a sign for you. Remember, this has been the theme of last Sunday and this Sunday, God's signs. God does not hide himself from us. God wants all of mankind to know him through his son. And just as last week we studied all the signs in the Old Testament that God gave people, this coming of this baby is a sign not only to the shepherds but to the entire world. But here's the sign that the shepherds are going to get. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the, multi, the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and peace among men with whom he is well pleased. This fear that the shepherds had when this angel began to speak to them is now removed by a heavenly multitude that is praising God and giving glory to God for the gift of this baby. Back to verse 15. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened to us, which the Lord has made known to us. Now again, remember, they are choosing now to be obedient. They are choosing to go to Bethlehem and find out what God was doing. 
these shepherds had at least, I believe, three choices. They could have said, well, we'll wait. Or they could have said, I really don't care what's going on in Bethlehem. Or they could have said, I do not believe that anything could be happening in Bethlehem. But listen to their response in verse 16. They went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. When they saw it, they made known the saying which had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it, their saying, wondered at what the shepherds told them. Now let me pause for just a second there. Were the shepherds quickly believed by others? And the answer to that is no, not really. But did that stop these shepherds from praising God and telling the story? And folks, I believe there's something very important for you and I to understand that these shepherds were some of the first evangelists of the New Testament. They were some of the first ones who proclaimed that the Christ had come. And whether people were going to believe them or not, they were going to tell the world the story of this baby and who the angels said this baby was. And folks, I think sometimes we as churches and we as Christians, we're faced with this. The world's not going to believe us, so why should we tell them? Folks, the story is so important that we must tell everybody about Jesus, about this baby who came to earth to save the world from his sin. Well, Luke tells us that Mary kept all these things, pondering them in her heart, and the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Folks, again, see the transition from verse 9, where they are filled with fear, in verse 20, where they are glorifying and praising God. And folks, there's another side to this story. God, through this angel and heavenly host, did not lie to these shepherds. And when God says to you and I that Jesus is his son and he is the Savior of the world, he is not lying to us. Let's, let's pray. Father, as we open again your word, we pray for your Holy Spirit to guide us. Heavenly Father, we want to worship your son not only this Christmas season, but throughout our lives. And Lord, like those shepherds, may we be evangelists. May we tell the world about this Savior, about your Son that came to save his people from their sin. Father, bless us as we hear again the story of the gospel and of the birth and coming of your Son. In Jesus' name, amen. Last Sunday we mentioned that there are many signs of Christmas all around us, the Christmas season, Christmas trees, Christmas lights, decorations, shoppers, sales, bargains. Is Jimmy Harris still singing Christmas trees, Christmas trees, Christmas trees for sale? I, do y'all remember that? Now, some of you are looking, but you remember that on the radio. You knew it was Christmas when Jimmy was singing that song. He's still doing it. <laughs> Maybe he'll hire me to do it for him next time, all right? Special family gatherings. Already you've got family that's come in. We know the time of the year because of these things that's happening. I tell you last week, the TV specials, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, and I've already seen it twice. The Charlie Brown Christmas special, it was on Tuesday night. Did you see it? I love that. 
at the end of that, they had some little clips from each individual uh, character within the, uh, within the Charlie Brown family that was telling the story of Christmas. And Linus is always the one that pulls the Bible out and starts reading, isn't he? And Linus is reading to his sister Lucy, and he is reading out of Matthew 2, and he says, The wise men are following a star. And Lucy looks at Linus and says, who is the star that the wise men are following? That's funny, y'all, all right? As if the wise men are following an actor or an actress. And as I was sitting there listening to that, I thought about in our modern world, 2,000 years past the coming of Christ to the earth, have we forgotten the biblical signs of Christmas? Have we acknowledged and have we believed the signs that God has given that his son has come into the world and have those signs led us to trust Christ as our personal Savior? I want to read two verses out of Hebrews chapter 1 that we read last Sunday. You remember again, we, we, I hope we established the fact that throughout the Old Testament, God gave many signs that he was going to redeem his people. But Jesus is the greatest sign of them all. And listen to the writer of Hebrews in chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. Long ago, God spoke in many and different ways to our fathers through the prophets and visions, dreams, and even face to face. That describes to me God speaking to the people in the Old Testament. And listen to what he says in the last part of verse 1, telling them little by little about his plan. You see, for those people in the Old Testament, God was progressively revealing himself and revealing his plan. And folks, so often in my life, in your life, God doesn't just spill it all out at one moment and say, this is my plan for you, this is what I want you to do with your life. Little by little, God begins to reveal himself to us. But the greatest way that God reveals himself to us is through his Son. So listen to verse 2. But now in these days he has spoken to us through his Son to whom he has given everything and through whom he made the world and everything there is. And folks, here is my point. If Jesus is the greatest sign in the beginning of us fully understanding the revelation of God, if we miss who Jesus is, we miss who God is and his purpose for us. That is the beginning point of turning to this babe that was born in a manger and acknowledging that this is God Almighty come to this earth. Folks, again, the birth of Jesus, the Christmas story, is a sign from God to you and to me and to the entire world that God has loved us enough to send his son to show us who he is, his love, and his gift of salvation through Christ. And folks, this morning I want to point out what the Bible says about the birth and the coming of Christ. And first of all, I want to point out what John says in John chapter 1, verse 14. John uses only one verse to sum up the birth of Christ. And listen to what he says. And again, I know that you know this verse. You've heard it many, many times. You heard it last Sunday. The Word became flesh. Folks, you know what that means? That God became a man. That God wrapped himself in skin and bones and came to our neighborhood. He moved in where we are to reveal who God is and how much God loves us. 
And folks, it is an amazing thing here that that John says not only that he became flesh and dwelt among us, but he is full of grace, he is full of truth. And I think these next words are John's testimony. We have beheld his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father. John, along with the other disciples, knew that Jesus had been crucified on a cross and placed in a grave and on the third day rose again. And they spent 40 days with Jesus. If you think about John, John spent more than that because the Lord met him again on the Isle of Patmos later on toward the end of his life. It is Peter, James, and John who are with Jesus on several occasions that the other disciples were not. And one of those is the Mount of Transfiguration when Jesus is given his heavenly glory that he had before he became a man. And folks, John can say, We have beheld His glory. We know who this man truly is. And He is the Son of God. He is the resurrected Lord and the resurrected Christ. So in one verse, John wraps up the birth, the coming of Christ to the world. But I want to point out this morning, and I hope in the next four days as you anticipate Christmas, that you'll read and meditate upon not only John 1.14, but also Matthew chapters 1 and 2 and Luke chapters 1 and 2. And I want you to see in these chapters of Scripture the biblical signs of Christmas. And I want to point those out in the time that we've got left this morning. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, Matthew says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. Folks, the Christmas story should be a neon light. How many of you remember neon signs? And and there's still some of them around, but I can remember in the days of hippies that if you really wanted to get somebody's attention, you put up neon lights, all different colors. They were so bright that they would catch your attention. And I'm telling you that the Scripture is trying to tell us that the birth of Jesus Christ as a man is God's neon sign to every generation about his love for each one of us and especially for lost humanity. And as you and I read Matthew 1 and 2 and Luke 1 and 2, please recognize the biblical signs of Christmas that I believe the gospel writers are shouting out to the world. And the gospel writers are trying to tell us that Jesus is the Christ, that he is the son of the living God, and he is the savior of the world. And let me point out these biblical signs of Christmas, and we'll be finished this morning, okay? But I I want to encourage you with these thoughts in mind that you'll read these four chapters. And folks, one of the first things you're going to be tempted to do when you read Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 through 17, to say, I don't understand this, I cannot understand this, I don't care about all these names. Let me tell you why those 17 verses are there. God had been promising a Savior. Where did that promise begin? You remember? Back in Genesis chapter 3. God promised Adam and Eve that he would send a Redeemer. God promised Abraham, whom God called to be the father of the nation of Israel and one of the forefathers of Jesus as a man. God promised David. Generation after generation, God had promised that a Savior would come. The coming of Jesus 
was God's sign of fulfilling the promises that he had been making for centuries that he would send a Savior. And thank God he did. If God promises something or says he's going to do something, he will do it. He always does. And folks, I'm banking on that for the rest of my life. Because I believe that God promises he will never leave us nor forsake us. I believe that Jesus promised that he would build a place for you and I in heaven if we trusted him as our Savior. I believe that he's going to come back and he's going to escort us to the Heavenly Father. Not because of who we are of ourselves, but who we are in Jesus Christ. God is faithful. And this is what Matthew is trying to tell the Jewish people that were the primary readers of the Gospel of Matthew. You can bank on what God has said. And then beginning with verse 18 in chapter 1 of Matthew through verse 25. And folks, that goes together with Luke chapter 1 verse 26 to 35. And it speaks of the virgin birth of Christ. And folks, the world has trouble with this and I know that. Joseph is not listed as the father of Jesus. Did you notice that in chapter 1, verse 16? Mary is described by Matthew and also by Luke as a virgin. And I know a lot of people say, ah, that's impossible. Well, let me get you to go back to Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. And folks, as we read and study Scripture There's an immediate context, but there's an eternal and long-range context. Hundreds of years before Jesus would come on this earth, Isaiah the prophet prophesies in Isaiah 7, 14, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a, you remember the next word? A sign. God himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. And in Matthew chapter 1, this is what the angel is telling Joseph. That that baby and Mary will be conceived of the Holy Spirit. That's what it says in Matthew 1.20. For that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. In Luke chapter 1 verse 35, the angel Gabriel. And Mary is asking The angel Gabriel, how in the world can this happen? How can I have a baby? I've never known a man. And and Gabriel, and I love this, Gabriel has been in the very presence of God, and God has told Gabriel what to say. And Gabriel says to Mary, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born shall be called Holy, the Son of God. Folks, these declarations about the virgin birth are from angels sent from God. And folks, again, God has given us a, a mind to reason, a God to a mind to evaluate truths and facts. But folks, listen, it is faith that causes us to realize and believe that God can do the impossible. And, and I want to just kind of this is how I understand stuff like this, okay? I I am the father of two children, and I was actually in the room, as many of you were, when your children were born, when my oldest daughter, Rebecca, was born in Chapel Hill Hospital. And as she began the path through the birth canal, I could not understand how God could take 
the sperm of a man and the egg of a woman and create a living being. I don't fully understand that. But I've got proof that he does because I have two daughters. Folks, I can't fully understand how the Holy Spirit placed Jesus in the womb of Mary, but I believe he did. I believe this is another sign from God that you and I could not redeem ourselves. We cannot save ourselves from our sin and even from ourselves, but God can. And God chose to do it in a miraculous way. But folks, what is so overwhelming is that God came in person to us in the form of His Son. In Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, there is the star that leads the wise men from the east to where Jesus is in Bethlehem as a sign. And then in Luke chapters 1 and 2. And folks, again, if you read these, just sit down and, and just enjoy them. Folks, as the Gospel of Luke starts, Gabriel, an angel of God, has been sent to a man named Zechariah, who is a very religious man. He and his wife, Elizabeth had gotten real old. He is in the temple because he was one is in the priestly family and he had to go down so often to, to serve in the temple. He and his wife had desired a child, but they had not been given one. But while Zachariah is in the temple doing his business as a priest, the angel Gabriel comes to him and says, Your wife's going to have a baby. <laughs> You remember that story? <laughs> he can't believe it. And Gabriel says, because of your disbelief, you're not going to be able to talk for nine months. What if God stopped us from speaking for nine months if, if some of the stuff we, he's told us we don't believe, folks? And I'm not trying to be sarcastic. But, folks, it's a beautiful story. You know why this baby would be born that we call John the Baptist? He would fulfill prophecy in Malachi chapter 4 that before the Son of God came, there would be someone to prepare the way. It's the plan of God. Matthew, Luke, John, they were given to mind to understand how God had given all these signs. And folks, six months later, in the latter part of chapter 1 of Luke, the angel Gabriel is sent to this young woman, Mary. And Gabriel speaks to her about the birth of Jesus. And Mary confirms that she is a virgin and it can't be possible. But Gabriel says, this is the word from God that you're going to have a child conceived of the Holy Spirit. You will call him who? Jesus. The angel had told Joseph the same thing, correct? In Matthew 1. The angel Gabriel tells Mary he is the Son of God and he will be the everlasting King. And then in Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7, Jesus is born in Bethlehem to fulfill, fulfill Scripture. And you remember again in Matthew chapter 1, the angel says that he is going to be born, and or King Herod asked the wise men of the Jewish leaders where the Messiah would be born. And they said, according to Micah 5, 2, he'll be born in Jerusalem. Folks, 
all of these things, the census and, and, and all of these things that happened, folks, are for you and I to understand that God is at work. In this story that we just read, the common shepherds are told by an angel about Jesus' birth. The angel told them, this is where you'll find the baby. And again, it had to seem strange that a baby would be found in a manger. And in verse 12 of chapter 2 of Luke, this will be a sign for you. And then a multitude of heavenly hosts are praising God and saying, Folks, listen, all of heaven breaks forth in proclamation and praise that that baby in the manger is the Son of God and the Savior of the world. But folks, here's the final line. Many believed that that baby was the king. But many did not. Many saw the sign and accepted it that Jesus was the Christ, but many discarded the signs. And in closing, I want to quickly tell you back again in Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. The wise men come from the east seeking the king. God miraculously has provided a star these men apparently were not only studies, studiers of the signs in the heavens, but somehow many Bible scholars think that some of the Jews had moved out of Palestine and moved into the east, and they had read the scripture about a Savior would come. And so they've seen the star, and they're following the star to find out where Christ is to be born. And they stop in Jerusalem and ask Herod, where is he that is born king of the Jews? And you remember, Herod doesn't know, so he calls the Jewish priests and religious leaders, and they say, in Bethlehem. And so the wise men go to Bethlehem, and they find the Savior. Folks, the wise men sought him and received him and believed in him. But let me tell you about Herod. Herod opposed him. And Herod found out that apparently the birth of Christ had been within a two-year period. And so you remember that all of the male children two years old and under were slain because of the jealousy of this king, Herod. But folks, let me find... Let me give you the final note. How about those chief priests and scribes that told the wise men, according to Scripture, Micah 5, 2, he'll be born in Bethlehem. Do you realize Bethlehem was only five miles from Jerusalem? To put that in a distance that you and I can understand, if you left the church parking lot and drove to Brooks and White Funeral Home, that would be five miles. Don't ask me how I know that, but I do, all right? Would you go that far to see if the person born was the Savior of the world? But they would not. They ignored Jesus, and they refused to believe that a child born in a manger could be to save the world. Does this story sound stupid or crazy? Would you not want to find the Savior of the world and know Him. But yet, our world is in such a fast pace today that Christmas comes every 12 months, and we find so many things to substitute for worshiping the King, even as Christians. Folks, you and I must understand something. Those men came and bowed in the presence of the Lord. 
And one day, every one of us, whether we have confessed him as our Savior or not, one day we will stand in the presence of Jesus and bow and confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's what Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, verse 11. But folks, now is the time. Those shepherds could have put it off. Those shepherds could have said, let's just wait and see what happens. I don't want to go visit anybody in the stable. You know, some people don't want to come visit Jesus at a church. And again, I'm not trying to be sarcastic. He can be worshipped anywhere, I know that. But the children of God come together to honor their King and their Savior and their Lord and their God. And that's what this is all about. Do you know Christ? Do you know the real meaning of Christmas? The real meaning of Christmas is that God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Have you received the greatest gift of all? The gift of God's love through His Son. If not, please turn to Christ and be born into the kingdom of God. Let us pray together.